Dogs of Warcry is a new podcast from the Mortal Realms, focusing on Warcry, a fast-paced, cinematic skirmish game by Games Workshop. Join us for discussions on gameplay, rules, lore, painting, terrain building, campaigns, and events. My name is Eric, or Stone Monk Gamer, and answering the call with me this episode is Thrallmaster Josh. How you doing, man? Excellent, thank you. And Bottlefinder himself, Pavend. How's it going? Pumped up. It's been a little bit since we've recorded. We had a, a little bit of a cheat episode last time, uh, as we've been calling it. Uh, how's the last few weeks been going for you guys? Great, doing hobby stuff and you know catching up on some projects around the house, but also you know helping with the event that we had a couple weeks ago. So it's been yeah, yeah. it's been a lot of fun. Yeah, Paven, what have you been up to? Warhammer wise, I've been up to a, a lot of hobby and a lot of games. Um, it's kind of taken a backseat over the last week because of. Uh, other stuff, but yeah, that's, that's pretty much it. Yeah, work can can be lame sometimes. <laughs> Real life, yeah. Real life. We got the holidays coming up, and sometimes that can be a, a, a boon for the the hobby, and sometimes that can be, uh, you know, time with family and and that kind of stuff. Um, why don't we get into some specifics, um, Paven? Since the last time uh, we recorded, uh, tell us a little bit about what you were able to accomplish. What have you gotten done? So I got a pretty good list here. Um, I was thinking that maybe I hadn't done as much hobby, but after writing it all down and forgetting things and then having to remember and put them on the list, um, maybe I, I have been productive, although that's uh, kind of tapered down, but taking full advantage of like the hiatus we went on, um, or you know, time since last show, I finished the Defiled Ruins up, um, so I had a couple more buildings there, and I you know, have my nice little terrain set I can play on. Um, I repainted four Ard Boys with Shields, so um, I bought the new Orc Warclans book, and Ard Boys with Shields are more important in there, so I dug up and found some Shields and rebuilt them and gave them a fresh coat of paint because they're getting pretty old there. Um, I it, This is like not quite Warcry, but it's still Age of Sigmar Universe. I finished my Umbral Spell Portals, which were the last malign sorcery spells I had from that box from a year and a half ago, so that was nice to cross off the list. Nice. Um, and then I have another hobby goal of paint something off the deep backlog, which I hide in my attic. Um, so I've been digging out a couple stuff there. Um, I, one of the things that I've been messing around with, but don't quite have like a nice scheme or anything for, was a um, one of Leopold's Leopards, uh, that old mercenary company from mm-hmm. Fantasy Battles. And uh, I've been trying to get like a living city color scheme going with them. Um, so that's been cool to work on, but... I threw all of that stuff back onto the back, back into the backlog, because um, I started to work on my Varen guard, and we'll, um, and another project I'm very excited about. But we'll get into the details more later. Uh, Absolutely, that's it for me. <laughs> Josh, you've been working on a lot of stuff. I asked a lot for a lot of help in the lead up to our event uh, a couple weeks ago. Um, what, what all were you able to to get done over the last couple weeks? As you had mentioned, working on the uh, the Plunging Spires event. And so in preparation for that, I had a lot of own personal hobby goals in terms of getting my starter Warcry set painted up or at least base coated so that it was uh, appropriate for the for the event. I also got my Shattered Storm Vault painted up, base coats. Still need to do some you know dry brushing and detail work. But really happy with the color schemes I've got, and uh, it's going to be much easier to kind of work on those and get those 
finished up, which I'm definitely excited about. Uh, printed off a bunch of stuff for the event, and that all went well. So um, we'll definitely talk about that in another episode. Um, and uh, this last week or so, my big hobby success was getting eight more pair of fox ears sculpted on my Cypher Lord. So now I could prime them, and I could start painting them, and hopefully get the whole warband painted up in time uh, before the next event, or, or well, hopefully you know before the end of the holidays, get them all set and ready to go. And uh, as Paven alluded to, we also picked up my Varen Guard and uh, have started working on that. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah, my uh, hobby has also been heavily um, uh, kind of intertwined with the event, um, which this episode we're going to be talking about uh, running a league and that sort of thing. And next episode we're going to dig into the Plunging Spires event and just a quick uh, shout out to everybody who attended and uh, everybody who couldn't attend that wanted to. Uh, we had a fantastic weekend. A, uh, a lot of, I don't know, a lot of people bought in quickly for a one day event and I was very, very humbled and, and thankful for that. And it made for a really fun time. But um, a lot of it was um, trying to get all of the the resources that we have, whether it be, you know, Paven, you lent your defiled ruins to the event and Josh, you had kind of were finishing up a lot of your terrain in order uh, to be used for the event and um, uh, the, you know, writing rules, painting models last minute, that sort of thing. So all the fun stuff that you would think, you know, if you're going to an event and you're painting a war band that you're doing and, well, as as the event runner, I was doing the exact same thing. So, uh, and I had to I had to keep stopping myself from having ideas uh, that could go into it because I just did not have the time to implement them. So, um, but uh, yeah, in the in the kind of aftermath of that, I guess my biggest <laughs> hobby was I came uh, back home with all of that stuff, and I had to do something with it because I had created a bunch of stuff that I did not have in my you know stored away before um and so i had to purge a bunch of stuff and make room and rearrange and clear out the hobby room and uh it was kind of nice to have that that kind of reset um going into a couple of projects uh and and kind of i don't know i always like not having any commitments per se you know like getting done with something big and then having kind of the space to breathe Mm -hmm. um but at the same time I got a, we got a lot done because of that deadline, so I'm I'm kind of eager to add a new deadline, and then we'll talk about that here in a second too. Um, but yeah, so that's been my hobby. Why don't we move on to battles in the eight points? And Josh, why don't you kick us off with some games you've been playing? So as, as part of that, uh, we did start our second league um, during this uh, the last four week period, and um, you know, so we'll talk a little bit more about that later. But uh, the league, I, I restarted my warband, Cipher Lords, Envoys of Madness. So they started from scratch, just because uh, my stepson Ben had done the same, and I was like, okay, we'll do the same thing. So we've uh, picked up a faded quest, and uh, we just entered into week 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 three. Or finished week three. We started week four, I think. Or no, no, we're in week three. That's right. Get all mixed up. But um, but I had a lot of fun games so far. Uh, played against uh, Flesh Eater Quartz and played against Eidneth uh, Deepkin, which war bands I hadn't played against before, and really got the, a sense of for how they play and, and the challenges that they they'll face for my particular war band. Had a had a good game against you, Eric, where I got to stop your convergence, and had a, a few games with Paven where I've won some and lost some. So they've all been really fun games, though. So it's been it's been a great start so far for the second league. Paven, what kind of games you been playing? Well, I first want to highlight that Eric is still unvictorious 
Yes, in his final conversion. I guess maybe I don't want to steal your thunder. Uh, no, no, <laughs> no. I don't think you guys are too worried about stealing my thunder. <laughs> You're stealing it right from underneath in case, me. In case, in case the listener missed out, Eric is still unconverged. And uh, speaking of convergences, I was able to finish my bottle quest. I know a lot of our listeners are probably closely tracking the progress of Skitrag and the Squig Squad, um, but they were able to do it. They, you know, broke into the laboratory and stole all of the glassware, and then, um, you know, brought it to their hideout and are filling it with potions and lotions and and, and drugs and funguses. <laughs> so, you know, the, it, it's a hero heroic moment for the Squigs. It was a great. It was a fun game versus Josh. It was very close. It was nice to have to defeat uh, the end boss of my Warhammer games uh, to to complete the, the the quest. Josh being the, the end boss. Um, <laughs> I also had 300 more points than he had. He so had just, close. He had so just close. started. Um, so yeah, that was a, that was a great game. Uh, I played a number of other games, including at the Plunging Spires. A highlight. I played four games that day. Um, but a highlight of that game was another game versus Josh, where Eric made up the rules. Um, we were playing on the Loon Shrine table, and the the rule of the game was um, every every time you activate your your any fighter, you roll a die six. On a one, uh, sometimes a one or a two, uh, your opponent gets to activate them, which was something I was not looking forward to at all to play with. Bad <laughs> times, and it certainly I was playing the Iron Draws, and certainly a number of times my war boss or my um, my leader was about to wa. And then he just gets confused and wanders off in the other direction. And so those were really tense and fun moments. And it actually was a great game. And it, it was, was super close. And it came down to like one attack on one activation uh, to finish it off. <laughs> um, that was definitely a highlight. Um, and then today I actually played two more games with Josh. I guess I just only played Josh. Um, <laughs> today. Uh, lost both of those. I've restarted my... Uh, I started a new quest with the Squig Squad, but I didn't wipe out their progress because why would you do that? Um, so they set all their destiny, and um, Josh was able to come out on top of both of those games. Yeah, uh, yeah. No, all those destiny quest. points, though, man. Yeah, they were good. They, yeah, well, it kept me in it really. Uh-huh. Um, but uh, let me think. Yeah, uh, we're gonna start on the Slaves and Master quest because that one felt the least. I don't know. It felt like I don't know. Goblins might muck up around there. Um, I like going questing for a super sword is like, nah, that's, that's too intense for us goblins. Um, but my <laughs> quest, um, yeah. is to actually assemble the Gobapalooza. So as I dominate territories again, I can slowly bring in allies and I want to bring in the whole, the whole crew of the, the wise gits. Cause now we have the glassware to support them all. Yeah. Uh, and they're with their various potions. So Perfect. That w- and that's, you know, I, I think I get more motivated when there's like a hobby tied to my games as well. Definitely. Uh, but I got to finish, finish my Baron guard before that. One of my uh, favorite of the God of Palooza is the guy who has like the cook pot. So <laughs> make sure you save one bottle for some good barbecue sauce or something. Yeah. The is <laughs> great. I mean, they're all great. They're actually my favorite sculpts of that release that I, and I, and I don't have them yet. Oh so. man. I don't know. I don't know. Excellent. Better remedy that. Um, very cool. Very cool. Um, I also played Josh. We wanted to do some play testing of the monster hunting, the, the challenges, um, because neither of us had a chance to play that. And we had a few um, uh, things in the plunging spires where we had monsters and we didn't have as much of a grasp of 
how that would play out. And so uh, this last league night, he and I took turns playing against Davies Saigor. Um, and it was, it was, it was cool. It was fun doing something new and different um, and having that, but the Saigors, I think we determined is probably on the low end of the challenge spectrum. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it, there wasn't as many climactic moments with that. Um, but we also think that we may have, there's a couple of things that we would probably have ruled a little bit differently or played a little bit differently in hindsight. Um, and, um, I think, I mean, kind of we're on a little bit of a quest to figure out two V one kind of two players versus one monster kind of uh, scenario, uh, to figure that out. So we're, we're kind of making our way, um, so our, each of our warbands got to do a challenge and, and uh, fight the Saigor, and both were victorious in different ways. Um, in fact, um, you know, my main pup, Sakubidu, uh, was was slain uh, because of the big Saigor, and, mm-hmm. and Ashudna got really angry, and he ended up doing 24 wounds to it, and then he did 18, and another 18, and then even after it was dead, he did another 18. It, it was... It was a it was a mournful moment. It, if this was a movie, that would have been raining and there'd been hiding the tears running down mm-hmm. his face. So, yeah. Yeah. It's, so it might have been one of the weather conditions actually. It's, uh, and yes, as Just blood uh, rain. Yeah, <laughs> as reported, I have uh, I've uh, swung twice at my final convergence, and uh, both times missed by uh, you know maybe one model or something like that. Yeah. Uh, and this last time, I, I usually have pretty good luck with my planes runners, um, you know, hitting hard. Uh, but they couldn't, they couldn't take down one of your. Is it a mirror blade or was it a mindborn or mind? Yeah, it was bound? a, it was a mirror blade. Yeah. So and a little bit, not much to tougher. Half, but but, yeah. uh, but it was three planes runners hacking at this guy and couldn't, couldn't take him down. So uh, I didn't deserve it, and that's okay. <laughs> that's okay. I will show, I will show you all that I'm worthy. Um, so, but it's been fun. It's been fun trying to finish this up. I'm kind of, uh, I've got some storm casts that are in some purple power already being stripped so I can paint them up for war cry. Um, and really I think that's what you guys are afraid of is, uh, me coming out with an, another war band and Big whatnot. fat crossbows. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, just, but yeah. That. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what I've been up to. Uh, and it's, so it's been good. Um, uh, playing some games and, and starting the league again and, and looking forward to kind of those regular game nights each week. So we'll see what happens uh, as we get more games in. All right. Um, as we're needing to combine a little bit of hobby and a little bit of, of battle, um, let's talk about the hobby battle. And uh, Josh, why don't you explain kind of uh, how this came to be and, and what we're doing? Sure. So in one of our previous episodes, we kind of started this discussion where it was right right after Monsters and Mercenaries had come out, and we saw that there was a Varengard warband that you could fight against in one of the challenge battles. And it kind of started a discussion amongst the three of us. And I was like, oh, you know, we could get a Varengard box and split it up. You know, each one, each person could have a Varengard. It'd be a great start for this, you know, and then we could paint it with a different theme and have our own, uh, you know, warband challenge battles. And uh, so that idea kind of hung around for a while, and then um, I don't know, was it three, four weeks ago? We we decided to to do it, you know, to go ahead and get the Varengard box, split up the models. We each have one Varengard to work on, and um, Eric started working on his right away for the uh, 
Plunging Spires event. But as as a side to that, Vint, our, our local Warhammer rep, our store runner, he's he said, well, why don't you guys have a like a friendly painting competition for it? And so we had a little discussion. We decided, well, you know, that could be a lot of fun. We got you know we got the Vanguard. It'd be good motivation to get us all to paint it up. And that's kind of started the hobby battle here. Yeah, so we are going to be um, getting started on working on that uh, over this next week. Uh, or you know, We've already started, but we're going to try and finish up by our next episode. We'll be all done, and we'll have put them somewhere uh, for everybody to, to take a look at, um, do some judging on. We'll have to figure that out. Yeah, but we're going to put them somewhere likely on the internet where you could look at them. Yeah, 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 yeah. Not just somewhere like, in somebody's know. house. <laughs> Mortal Realms page, in an uh, art know, gallery, Twitter, yeah, an art gallery. Yes, indeed. Uh, so we'll get them somewhere where we can uh, share them online, and people can uh, can vote on them, and uh, you know, you can vote for your favorite podcast host. I mean, model, uh, <laughs> and. <laughs> and uh hopefully we'll just be blinded they'll all be blinded <laughs> and we'll we'll just uh hoping with that we'll inspire and and with the new um slaves to darkness stuff coming out which we'll talk about in a minute uh you know we'll we'll get these uh these war bands uh up for challenges for our local group and inspire some of you to to paint up your own so um all right let's jump into the news uh, the first bit of news, Adepticon events have been posted, and if you had a keen eye, uh, there are two Gibbering Dome events happening on the Thursday and the Friday of Adepticon, and I apologize, I don't have those dates in front of me. That Thursday, one of those Gibbering Dome events is going to be a Warcry event, and it's going to be put on by us. Yeah, our buddy Paul, uh, who's been on the show and from the Mortal Realms crew, uh, is doing the Friday Narrative AOS event. It's a one-day event. Um, it's the, uh, usually a thousand points, uh, but you can go check that out. And then we are on the Thursday before that doing uh, a Warcry event, probably a thousand points. You can go and check that out. We've got space for 24 players, and we're still figuring out what we're going to do for that. We kind of know the space we're going to be in, the, some of the story we're going to tell. The registration opens December 8th. So if you're coming to Adepticon in Schaumburg, uh, Illinois, and are interested in playing some narrative war cry uh, with, with us, then uh, come and check that out. Go register. Get on the, get on the list, and, uh, and we look forward to seeing you there. And then shout out to us. Let us know that you're that you're coming or that you've registered so that we can uh, kind of start looking for the faces and people that, that we know we'll get to see. So um, that's for that. Um, do you guys want to hit the next section? We have a couple of corrections to make from our previous episode where we talked about the rules. Um, one, I want to personally apologize to every, all of our listeners and the the greater Warcry community um, because I was pretty, uh, Active in my in my reading of a of the Gloomswide uh, gets quad ability and my 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 certainty well, certainly came through in the podcast and so uh, the controversy is on the Gloomswide gets quad which works like rampage except you get to add the the value of the dice to the damage of of hits and critical hits and what hits and critical hits mean is kind of up for debate I did a bunch more research after we got some um, uh, kind of uh, fan um, 
responses from the episode, and it's still, I think, unclear. There is a controversy of whether you add that once or for every hit. Um, after reading it all and reading many like rules, um, I've just decided to... I, I agree that it's unclear, and I think I first thought that it was very clear, but I agree that it's unclear. Um, and I've decided to play it in a way that was less OP for me. Um, and so only adding that dice once, I feel like it was very, very, very strong when you added that for every attack dice. And for um, kind of part of my ruling my, or my reading of the rules was like for other abilities where you it, it will say each and that each means maybe every hit. Um, well, if it doesn't say each, each, it doesn't mean that. Um, I would still love further clarity because it still seems like people are fighting on the internet about it, and I certainly was confused. Yeah, my bad on that one, guys. Uh, this is like a narrative podcast anyway. Um. <laughs> well, no, I, I think I think you touched on it. There's a lot of debate even now, and, and it wasn't clarified in the facts, so it's mm-hmm. you know, so it's still kind of up in the air, you know. But we're doing what we can to figure it out as we go along as a community, right? So <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. And I, and, uh, you know, I, I wanted to thank you. Um, and I apologize. I didn't pull up, pull up who it is. The, the number of people that responded with that in, in very kind ways, like there was no, like, uh, anybody raging at us for getting it wrong, but some really good, uh, points clarification or just bringing up that it is in question. Uh, and so, um, you know, we always want to take as even a stance on anything like, um, but, but we're going to get things wrong. Uh, and you know, we've even with that paven, you know, like, uh, I don't think we've ever had a negative experience playing it that way, but yeah, some more clarification would be good. So I, yeah, it was a easy mistake. Uh, and then our other one was, um, on the setup of the cards and the resolution order. Um, we've been playing it that we've, um, that we've been, uh, you know, doing our setup and we even joked about this on the last episode, but we've been, uh, doing the cards blind and starting with the setup of the, the terrain. And then we flip over the deployment and we see what that deployment is. And then we flip over the, um, victory, victory and read what that is. And then we flip over the twist and read that. So we've been doing it in kind of a blind order. Whereas the rules, uh, in the, the, and, and with that, I think, um, some of it is the quick rules, Mm-hmm. Say things a little bit different than the rules in the core book, or at least, I guess they they just simplify it. So it leads sometimes it leaves out some nuance. So mm-hmm. in the in the core book it says flip them over for all to see. Yeah. Um, and so if you are playing where you flip them over and you can see all of the different um, cards and make your choice on your deployment based on what you've read of the victory, that's totally fine. That is fine. Rules is written. Um, and then I think where we would just pose is then uh, still kind of the point we made towards the end of that was if you change that up a little bit in what order you view them or what you information you give yourself before making those choices, it can change the battle, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you're, you may be less likely to get a match or a, you know, have somebody pick a deployment that, um, that so, uh, favors them, mm-hmm. uh, that, that you know when you do it blind that you maybe just keep it a little more random and it's a little bit more casual that way but mm-hmm. as written to be able to uh pull the you know flip them all over take a look at them and make your decisions based on that is totally fine yeah so now, i want to point out this wasn't it, it actually having played this way for the last few games um, it wasn't the priority role, role wasn't as op as i thought it would be because you still make a separate role usually for choosing like attacker defender victory conditions which I think is often like the more important role. Yeah, um, sure. So there's still like that level of kind of, you don't get to choose it all. 
Right, yeah. right. Although, yeah, it depends on how you roll. Like, you know, today I got priority. In our second game, I got priority. And also one to decision. You know, in that case, it hampered you, even though you still had a pretty good game wiping out my models. So. Yeah, you're also making the, the, the deployment decision before you're, you know if you're going to win the victory roll. Right. Yeah. Yep. So, yep. It's still a good game. I'll play it more. <laughs> Maybe talk about it on a podcast. <laughs> All right. <laughs> now that we've uh, um, you know flagellated ourselves uh, on uh, the rules that we got wrong, and we will try and do that anytime we get the wrong. So please uh, let us know. You can shoot us email at dogsofwarcry at gmail dot com or uh, touch base with us on Twitter um, at dogs of warcry and let us know if you think we've got something wrong or have a different idea on something, and we'd we'll be happy to. Uh, research it ourselves and and uh, you know kind of clarify them on future episodes. So please yeah. help us out, keep us honest. Um, now let's talk about the juicy stuff. Um, uh, Pavin, what of the new releases do you want to talk about first? Oh boy, um, something we're we're still waiting for is Tome of Champions, um, and I believe it is it Tome of Champions 2019 uh, yeah. for certain. Yeah, so that's. I think very likely going to be the annual book supporting the game, much like the General's Handbook and Chapter Approved are for Age of Sigmar and Warhammer 40K. And we're just, I don't know, we're, we don't know what's going to be in there. Um, and we're all very, I, 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 the community, myself, I'm very excited. Um, I think we have a leaked release date for December 14th, so not too far into the future. And I'm really like, interested in digging in there. I guess that's all I got to say about it. Well, and, yeah. and we had talked about that on the cover you know uh, what we thought that might be on the cover. Well, we found out that that cover monster with the horns is actually an ogreoid myrmidon. Uh, so one of the new monsters yeah. uh, or allies, I think it is, that they talk about in the um, one of the community articles is a new ogreoid. The first one was an ogreoid thermiturge uh, in the Silver Tower box game, mm-hmm. and this is a more uh, fighter version of the the ogreoid so that's really cool kind of a, a replacement minotaur or updated minotaur uh from the zinchian uh, uh discipleship kind of thing and um so that was really cool to see that that cover monster or face be an actual kind of monster which could be a very theme you know heavily featured monster and one of the things they said about that was a new leader um for your warband and so i I'm, some debate on whether or not that's kind of just uh, marketing speak in there or if that's a, a rules uh, update or something that's going to change where an ally could become or if there's going to be more universal leader alternatives um, for warbands so that's kind of an interesting uh, Josh was there another monster that that you took a fancy to from that uh, uh, preview indeed, indeed it was a uh blew my mind when they released these these you know spoiler alerts you know and the fun thing was it was before blood and glory i happened to be on facebook and on, there was this teaser video you know they came out accidentally one day early it must have been up for like five minutes because i managed to snap some pictures and it was gone so i so I was, I was able to see them first and shared them and people actually thankfully i took some pictures or else nobody would have believed me but one of the other monsters is this mind sealer spherax which is uh, really cool. It's got two different faces, and it's supposed to have some mind control abilities. And again, it's unclear if it's a monster or an ally, but it has a fairly large base, so it's probably closer to a monster. But yeah, but that one and the Ogroid Mimrodon 
were both alluded to after Blood and Glory, stated to be joining the Fomoroid Crusher in 2020. So sometime next year, we'll get to see these models and get them on our tables. How funny it would be if the challenge um, scenario for the Mind Sealer Spherinx uh, wasn't actually a combat like board where you had, to, but instead you had to like answer um, <laughs> riddles, uh, riddles and tongue twisters. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, that would be great. And uh, and that's how you got it on your team is you had to, had to respect you, uh, or you had to give it uh, catnip. Yeah, <laughs> right. right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, that's pretty cool. Uh, and then on top of that, uh, we got to see uh, the new models for the Spire Tyrants. Um, and we had seen kind of one of them or two of them up close, and then we got to see all of them. Uh, what was your guys' kind of first impressions of the new Spire Tyrant models? Well, the first thing I want to say is that if these all these new monsters are chaos only, I think that's going to get me to fall to chaos more than anything else. Like the road, the road to damnation is paved with really dope miniatures. Um, <laughs> well put. But uh, Spire Tyrants got a cool aesthetic. Definitely been hitting the gym. Um, got a lot. Of, got a lot of lot of beefy beefy dudes and dudettes. Um, I special my my favorite is certainly the leader, um, who's a beastagore, who's got a really really dope. Uh, Two-handed mace and I guess a pair of shackles in his hands too, and they're definitely a, um, a cool kind of throwback aesthetic to the old Chaos Marauders. From, mm-hmm. I mean, that are still in Age of Sigmar, but definitely that like traditional like leather, black armor, gold trim, and fierce weapons kind of deal. So yeah, Spire Tyrants are cool. Yeah, what do yeah. you think, Josh? Yeah, I know I, I echo a lot of what Pavin said there, and and it was really exciting to kind of see them add a beast beastman to a warband, you know, because right now you can just use one as an ally. So that was that was a neat twist to see, again, more races being introduced to the warbands that we can get. And um, I love the the kind of, like, Paven had the older Chaos look that they've got. And in the new Varenspire article that came up this last Friday, they had a little blurb that also mentioned them just saying, yeah, the Spire Tyrants, you know, bask in the glory of Archeon and everybody else in the arenas, and now they're going out to fight some warbands for fun. So it was kind of fun to, to have them throw that tidbit in there because the Spire Tyrants aren't out yet. They get a little bit more flavor on their background. But yeah. I think there'll be a fun warband to see on the table. Yeah. Now the I really appreciated the another Chaos Dwarf um, mm-hmm. uh, that's in the mix with a big, huge, uh, fuzzy beard. Uh, yeah. And then uh, Starbuck from the most recent uh, – <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, episode of the what is it called? Battlestar Galactica. Battlestar Galactica, yeah. Uh, yeah so definitely yeah. uh, not the most recent reference you can make, but yeah, yeah, yeah. right. right. Uh, uh, I did see some people, you know, making correlations between. Um, I don't know if it's the leader of the warband. It's the guy that's got his a ball, kind of a bald head with the top knot, yelling up, and, and the correlation that looks just like Woody Harrelson. You know, just yeah. it was like, whoa, yeah, yeah you're right. <laughs> it's very close. Yeah, yeah. So I think a couple of these suffer from like a, the angle that they were photographed at and, you know, could use a little turn and, and you'll see kind of more of what they look like. But, um, but yeah, I, I was expecting the first guy we saw, I actually thought that was going to be one of the um, kind of lower level fighters, but for him to be, so I, I, I think I was expecting maybe a higher end, um, but that, that best like you said, is a pretty, pretty ballin. Um, kind of a leader type or champion type. So uh, there's definitely some flavor here. No, they're pretty cool. And that kind of 
kind of rounds out uh, reveals that we got to see over the last uh, few months. Um, why don't we go ahead and take a break? And when we come back, we'll dive into our main topic about starting uh, leagues, our experience with the leagues and what's coming next. Thanks again for subscribing to Dogs of Warcry. We hope that our love for the Age of Sigmar setting comes through in all of our podcasts that you listen to. Whether it's the Mortal Realm story phase, our Underworlds podcast, What the Hex, or this little gem. If so, consider dropping a tip over at themortalrealms.com forward slash Patreon. Thanks. Welcome back. The victory condition for this episode is to discuss our experiences with our very first league. Um, and now going into our second league, some of the, the changes that we've made to it and what ideas we have uh, for the future. Um, to start off with, though, I wanted to talk uh, – we wanted to – you know, we want this to be an encouraging thing for anybody listening who's thinking about starting a league. Um, and one of the big kind of components of Warcry is this league play, is this, you know, uh, having people start a campaign. Um, what were some of your guys' thoughts um, when we got the book and it was all of these different quests and this idea of of individual questing in a group? Uh, you know, Josh, what were some of your first thoughts, I guess, new idea? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, no, I thought it was a really nice touch because um, other – uh, campaigns or other sorts of skirmish-based games that I've played, uh, it, it can suffer from not being able to meet up with the right person to continue you know, your particular mission or your goal. Or if you're playing a map-based campaign, you've got to fight against certain opponents, and sometimes it's the same person over and over and over again. And, and so I think this was a unique way to solve that, where you could play the same person or a variety of people, but your quests were different. So you, your goals and your objectives progress differently. And, and as we've discussed before, I really love the, the narrative touch of convergences and that, you know, how it relates to your story and what you get along the way. Your leader grows with artifacts and command traits. And, and so I thought a league, well, obviously the narrative league is the best way to take advantage of that as well as, you know, play against a lot of really nice people in a wide variety of different warbands. Definitely yeah. enjoyed it. Paven, had you played in many, um, you know, campaigns with Age of Sigmar or other systems? Um, you know, you talked before about, you know, uh, playing some Warmer Hordes or, you know, some other things. How was this system different from, you know, playing uh, kind of out of the gate? How was it different from ways you've experienced it in the past? Oh, it's an interesting question, Eric. So one system that I think about, they think about is um, I played in the, I think I mentioned this before, I got my butt kicked in the Fire Scar Plateau when I just got back in Age of Sigmar. Just up and down that whole thing. Um, and that felt uh, kind of very snowball-y. And, um, mm-hmm. But it, it was a super fun league. It was great. I was like, I, I rebased all of my orcs and goblins from fantasy during that league. Um, so that was a great project. Um, this league, I mean, the quest put a very interesting spin. It's like everybody has their own thing to do, and you don't... There's not... Like, usually in campaigns... Um, obviously there's like an obvious winner that gets out ahead and then everybody else loses. But with the quest system, you know, everybody can like win in their own mind and like achieve their own goals. And, but also have like, a, everybody can be progressing at the same time. Like every, unless you're at a convergence, everybody moves along the tracker, uh, win or loss. 
And so that's like a, I think that's a very positive experience to build into a system. One of the things that we, as we started playing it, realized that there's a lot of rewards for just playing and, and not just like, uh, you know, participation trophies, but things to accomplish, uh, things to try for and ways to kind of stretch the kind of games you play, um, by playing against different opponents, by playing against, um, in different scenarios and, and obviously the battle cards help a lot with that. Um, but, but it was, it is definitely really interesting that it gave you this personal goal or something for your warband to accomplish, um, while other warbands are trying to accomplish other things and which is very themely, like, um, instead of everyone trying to accomplish the same thing and only one person gets it, you know, everyone has a chance at their own, um, kind of uh legend right um Mm -hmm. growing their name um some of the reasons uh you know when when starting the league um obviously we'd all kind of were interested in playing this game and trying to figure out ways to get together and play and um pretty quickly after or as warcry was coming out um our local warhammer store manager vint had uh talked to me about getting a league started now i had never run a league before um you know since starting the mortal realms podcasts and you know uh doing a number of things we've talked about you know having done some local um some things to try and, and encourage and support local play but also being pretty busy with family and work um, sometimes it's been easier to focus outside of uh you know to the online community um but this really felt like an opportunity to, I guess, do something different and, and work locally. And I think probably the number one, um, aside from, I guess number one was obviously when you've got a game you're excited for, you want to play it. And so, uh, one really big reason to, to jump into doing a league was to try and find more people that wanted to play this. So we'd have, I'd have more opponents. So there's some that personal, like selfish reasons, um, and, uh, but then, uh, in general, I think the, the biggest reason was to just start building more community locally around, you know, using this new game as kind of, a uh, that excitement generated from a new game, all the marketing that the games workshop was doing to promote the war cry, um, the kind of that, that initial, I guess anything new generates quite a bit of interest from the overall player base. Mm-hmm. And so, that's a, a really good time and a good point to jump into your local community and and try a league and to start something off and see who you gra- who gravitates towards that um, and share some experiences. Um, and so I thought initially it was really cool for for Vint uh, of all the stores in our area. You know, Vint was probably the most. Um, and some of that's his job, but you know, all stores could benefit from having leagues running. Um, but it was kind of on him to say, Hey, I need to do this and, and who can help me. Uh, and so that was kind of the impetus of it was first being asked by a store and then, um, wanting to build community, uh, locally. So, um, Pavin, what were some of the benefits that you guys felt brought to either our store or our community from having a league? Well, it was the friends I made along the way. Oh, um, that, that old gem. Yeah, uh, <laughs> no, in all seriousness, it was a great it was a great entry point for I think a few people into the community. Now there were certainly some like 
that, you know, old faces that are, you know, involved in a lot of stuff. And it was great to have an opportunity to play against those players uh, again. Um, but, you know, there were some uh, new people that were coming in just to check out Warflyer, check out the Madison seed. And it was very easy to get get them games in and like, you know, not feel like they had like missed a step, I don't think. Um, another thing that's just great for me and League Nights is like just having a, a game night the same night of every week. It just makes family planning and, um, you know, coordinating with the wife much easier. I'm just like, all right, Thursdays is Warcry night. Stick it on the calendar. Totally agree with that. It, and it's definitely, you know, it's also, I think, extremely motivating from a hobby perspective because it's like, okay, I know Thursday night I've got some games. I'm looking forward to that. I need to work on my Warband or I got to get some things working up. But, uh, but yeah, I think. One of the, uh, you know, I was surprised at how many people we had come out and, you know, wide variety of new players that I had never played against before, which was a lot of fun. And uh, getting a chance to play against like you and Paven, who I hadn't played games against in a long time, um, was, a, was a blast. Yeah, kind of getting a new setting and, you know, picking up old old uh, hobby grudges and, and then continuing those rivalries and, and then developing new ones and developing stories. It's been a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I would say that's that's been my favorite part about Warcry, but facilitated by the league is having enough games to start developing kind of um, mm-hmm. a familiarity with the warband that I'm playing and feeling like I'm more in tune with it and better capable with it. Um, and uh, but most importantly, I think the having that regular day um, where I know I'm going to get together with friends uh, who weren't friends immediately, uh, you know, like we're all just getting to know each other, but it felt like we all became, uh, you know, grew with uh, a lot of friendships pretty quickly uh, because we were all spending that Thursday time together and, and people coming and going and playing one game or two games, whether that, whatever that be. And then, and telling those stories together and having those rivalries, exactly that, um, you know, I'm, I'm still hoping to, to win a game against Aaron and his, uh, bone splitters. Um, uh, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I think that that's by far the, the best reason to, to try and start a league is you're certainly going to build some friendships and you're going to mm-hmm. play more games, tell more stories. Um, and, you know, hopefully grow the community and, and, and get some interest. So, um, let's talk about that a little bit. Um, you know, when we got, when I started the, the league obviously i hadn't done one of these before and there's a few things that i'm learning along the way and we'll talk about that when it comes to the event as well but obviously the warhammer store has a has a bit of traffic and you're guaranteed that some of those people are going to be interested in the new games workshop stuff that's coming out um and so vint does a good job of you know recruiting some some people to help him run events or run you know uh, game nights um and was looking and, and does some promotion and talking to people. And so everyone who's coming through there is getting to know about it. So that was really cool. Um, but then it was a lot of work on Facebook to um, kind of get people signed up to say they're going to be coming out to talk to them about stuff, taking pictures of the day um, of people there, which is hard to remember when you want to play games and just roll dice. Um and and kind of keeping everybody on their toes or or informed or top of mind about what's going on the next week that we're meeting again we're going to be there here's some pictures that sort of thing um so that was something that i think i knew was going to be a part of it which is probably why i hadn't done as much of it in the past but to run a league and have regular showing um you do have to do quite a bit of talking about it and communicating and 
kind of the the glue of of doing a league is the time you spend in between talking it up, sharing things, etc. So I played in a variety of, of different leagues, you know, all sorts of formats, map-based leagues, campaigns for 40k or Warhammer Fantasy, some old map-based campaigns and, and more time and and um I, I think yeah, you're definitely right that you know there's and sometimes it's just the inherent group and the individuals within it which are, are really good at contributing narratively. If, if you know if you're all telling stories together, then it it becomes a, a, a you know kind of a self perpetuation machine where it just continues to go by itself because everybody is building that story together and you're kind of getting things going. But when it's a larger group like we had for this particular league, there's a lot of different people and some stay for one game, some stay for a couple, some are willing to meet other days. So you don't quite have that same mechanic and so you do end up having to spend more time motivating people you know either just communicating or saying hey we had this many players come out you know how's everybody doing and then and then kind of promoting it the next time to try and remind people to build it into their schedules and I, you know i think um you did a good job of, of doing that and it, it kept was on people's calendars and it kept it kept the league kind of growing and at a, or at a you know at least stable levels throughout the entire league which is which can be difficult to do so yeah yeah. Um, Paven, having that kind of, uh, you know, one day a week when you're playing, how did you navigate that with your family uh, to kind of, that wasn't something you were doing before that, I don't believe. Did you have a, a game night that you were uh, kind of heading out once a week prior to this or? No, it was close to like once a month. I would just try to make sure to get a game in. Um, so this is definitely up to my, my games played for sure. Yeah, no, it's like I put it on. I put it on my, uh, you know, we we coordinate everything in my house through Google calendars, and so I just put it on my Google calendar. Work right night is Thursday, and uh, I think or, uh, my wife and the kids, I'll, I'll get pizza on Thursdays. Nice. So miss out on pizza, which is a bummer, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Felt like the biggest thing uh, with running the league and trying to kind of rally people about around one day a week. Um, and one of the good things that, about having it every Thursday was trying to build consistency, mm-hmm. trying to kind of convey the idea that there was a group of people playing Warcry every Thursday night at this location and that it was fun. Um, and I don't, there was never a point where it wasn't fun. There were certainly a couple of nights where, you know, a handful of people showed up instead of, you know, our first night, um, again, Warcry had just launched and there's a lot of curiosity around it. Our first night of league was 16 people. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were all surprised by that and, and taken back. And I never once thought we were going to get 16 people every night or anything like that. Um, but I would say, you know, quite a few of our, uh, Thursday nights were, you know, five games going on, six games going on with, you know, um, you know, eight, eight to 10 people, you know, we had a few of those bigger nights. And so, um, that, and I think that came out of first, you know, having a good game that people really enjoyed playing, Mm -hmm. having that consistency. So they knew there was something going on. Um, but then I think, uh, the next piece, you know, once you have that consistency, once you have that, you know, the store support and you're out every night and you have, uh, you know, eventually, uh, I wasn't going to be able to make every night and, you know, Josh, you showed a great interest in, and, and, um, help in, um, you know, kind of getting out for that 
every night and, you know, bringing terrain, bringing, uh, you know, stuff for people to play on and bringing a war band, et cetera. I think the next uh, most important thing is kind of the attitude or tone you set for your, your Thursday night. Um, and I know that in general, I think most of the game shops um, I'm able to get to have a great group of people that are playing games and having fun, have a really good attitude. But I think in a league, especially at a store where you're constantly going to be having new people coming in, you have to have a very welcoming kind of hard on your sleeve kind of welcoming environment uh, for people to come in and play. And that was one of the things where I wasn't sure of, cause I didn't know everybody yet is how easily would it be for somebody to come in and play and get a game and it'd be a good first experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I, with AOS age of Sigmar, I ran a lot of demo games uh, early on and you know, that can be fun to, to run a lot of demo games, but you don't want to run all demo games. And so having some other people, you know, Josh, having you there to be able to, to, to play some games. And then, you know, it was pretty quick. I knew that Pavend uh, was a fun person to play against and easygoing and uh, that a new player was going to have a good experience there. Mm-hmm. But I can't think of any of our players, um, you know, that had experience and who were interested. Aaron was another who was super into the game right off the bat, had been reading the rules and came in very knowledgeable. Um, but was also super capable of running really good, you know, first games. I can't think of a certain anybody in the, in the, in our league who was not fun to play against. And oh, yeah. that all, was a all really that was, nice people. Yeah. That, that was a huge boon to creating that good experience, welcoming experience. And I don't, it's, probable that they're just all good people anyway but we were very intentional about setting a really um, open tone to the league that anybody was welcome any skill level any um you know coming from any background uh and and wanting any kind of experience that we would try and provide that the biggest compliment came from uh one of our uh newer um attendees and that was ben um, and he was traveled around, been a few different places, uh, or, or lived in a few different places. And, you know, his comment was something to the effect of that he hadn't, um, he hadn't met a more welcoming group of gamers in, in, you know, the many places he'd moved to. Um, and so I think very much, absolutely 100% that, that that welcoming energy that we brought contributed to more success for the, for the league than we would have had without it. Yeah, um, definitely. Uh, you know, Pavend, how did you change for the event? Like the event inspired you to not be a, a real jerk and instead <laughs> be a nice guy to the new players and other people. What was it about uh, the league that inspired you to turn over that new leaf? Um, the fear, fear of being shamed on a podcast, probably. No. I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> oh, no, I had uh, I knew that I, I knew right away that you were going to be down because we'd played some games at some of our our game nights and stuff like that, and and you were highly narrative uh, and driven for to to have good games and not uh, not wins necessarily. So, Paven, was there anything that that you did, were doing to make sure that kind of contributing to that that environment? I mean, I was just trying to make sure not to get uh, like too competitive, especially with. Um, like uh, new players and new games, like really try not to like. It, me, you make sure I'm keeping I'm keeping my eye on the ball with like if if you lose you still have a good time and like don't don't just like try to 
you know, ultra focus on the rules. Except when I play Josh, then it's all about winning. Um, yeah, yeah. But, uh, but one thing that I have that I didn't do, but I certainly think about now is um, if it's like somebody's first game of Warcry, or they're just coming fresh to the league is uh, not bringing my like super squad to that game. Um, it just didn't it, like uh, the couple times it happened. Um, it just didn't like feel that great. Um, and so like now right now I was packed two war bands that I'm interested in playing. Um, you know, and then so I always have a war band that I can play at a thousand points in advance, but it doesn't feel like um, I'm bringing the whole the whole heat of the of the squig squad to them. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely. Yeah, I think um, you know some of the other things I thought we did well is we, you know, we tried to set one day where everybody could get together and motivate people to come and play that night, but we also said, you know, we understand people have a busy life. Um, you know, if you can't make Thursday night, then you know we created a. Um, a Facebook messenger group with everybody in it so that you could coordinate, you know, share information on, you know, your, your sheets and, you know, what, you know, what your, how many glory points you had, et cetera, but also to coordinate, Hey, I couldn't make it on, you know, Thursday. Can somebody play Saturday or Sunday or whatnot? So people could still get their games in, still progress their quests. And those who were super excited, like I was when I wanted to keep playing games, I could, I could go and say, yeah, I'd be happy to come and help you get your game in. And, and, uh, I think, I think that flexibility is really important because we know, every, you know, some people can't make that night. And that's why, you know, but having that flexibility encouraged a lot of people. And I think, just being open, you know, like Pavin was saying, be flexible with your your lists and, you know, having fun while you're playing and not just trying to win because you're advancing in your quest regardless. And, and yeah. Uh, yeah, I think that that is critical to encouraging people to have a more casual uh, environment. Yeah, I think I think it needs to be everybody's goal that's participating that a win is that somebody comes back and plays again. Uh, and that doesn't mean throwing a game. That doesn't mean, you know, like, you know, letting somebody win necessarily. Um, although I, I will, like you say, I, I will, I will get a casual enough where, you know, I'm sharing with them what they could do to beat me. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and trying to make it a learning experience and not something that, again, that I'm trying to get some ego boost on. Um, mm-hmm. and so that, you know, I think that that's, you know, being very intentional and, like I said, hard on your sleeve about it. Um, one of the other things, I'm terrible at names. And so I made a point of learning everybody's name uh, so that I could could call them by their name and recognize them. And, and that actually helped me, you know, like get to know them, think about them outside of that time. And, and I think uh, even in our um, messenger chat, I think somebody came up with – you know, giving, changing each other's actual names or Facebook names to their warband names. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that helped us identify each that. other. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> helped us identify each other with the warbands we played, et cetera. And so there was a lot of that, a, a bit of that kind of stuff. Some of the things that, um, you know, were, like you said, we had, um, 16 people sign up for the league and we had a few people that didn't show up, you know, played one game and, and didn't come out more after that. We had some other people kind of pop in for one game here or there partway through. Um, and I think we ended up, uh, after about, we did, we did start seeing a drop off after the first conversion. We had, uh, 100% of our players get through, well, 100%, uh, that seems weird. 100% get through the second game. And then the first convergence, we had 63%. Uh, play their first convergence um, and or win their first convergence and move on. Um, and so that was interesting. Obviously you're going to 
it's some sort of challenge, but I think, uh, it was just super interesting to kind of see where as you get down, we've played eight weeks and there's generally what, 10, 11, uh, battles in a, in a roster, in a quest. Um, and within that first eight weeks, depending on how many people could, how often they could play, et cetera, most people were able to get their, you know, through their first five or kind of halfway through their quest. Um, and that was, you know, kind of, uh, some people, obviously, if you're not, if you don't get through your, your convergence on the first time you play again, or you might, um, you know, hit that spot and you might play a different game or help somebody with their convergence. So you're not playing your own, et cetera. So I didn't record the number of games everybody played, but getting about halfway through their quest, um, you know, about half of the people got through, um, half the quest or got beyond half the quest. So, you know, that was an interesting kind of thing to see and how people got through it. Um, some interesting things when people came into the league, we had, uh, 75% of the players picking a new warband and doing something new to get started. Um, and about half of those, half of the warbands were chaos warbands. Um, and so that was also interesting in terms of, um, what people's choices were. And one of the things obviously I think helped a lot with the league was having, those non chaos warbands to choose from to let people get in and play something they may have already had. Um, but even then still saw, you know, a lot of new warbands formed out of that. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, there's just a, um, a ton of, of new friends that we have, um, people, I would say half of the people that came out and played, I had never met before. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was, it's just cool getting to meet that other side of, of our community that, you know, it's probably playing the game in some other store in their, in their garage or doing something like that. But now they're out here with us and, and, uh, some of them are coming to events and, and we're, we're doing more things together. We're playing with them outside of our Thursday nights, et cetera. Let's move on then to talk about kind of the mechanics of running a league. Um, the core rule book has, you know, the guidelines for running individual quests for everybody kind of taking up their own mantle and uh, moving forward with it. Um, but it doesn't give a lot of guidance and uh, to kind of putting structure around that for a league. And the um, GW does provide these league boxes that you can get through your local friendly game store to run a league in those uh, in their store. Um, and the store, so the store can order that and it has some things. It has a, a gold, silver and bronze medal. Um, it has some acrylic game pieces in the first box. It was, um, the objective tokens in this latest, uh, box. It is wound tokens. And, uh, so it has some things like that in the latest one. It also has some cards. So it has some swag, some things to give away and some things that could be earned. Um, and, uh, so it, there's not, but there's not a lot of rules for how you kind of keep people accountable how you uh, kind of keep them in it or how you connect everybody's the, the individual quests that they're playing. How do you bring those together and make it feel like there is a connective tissue for, for the group. Um, and so without that, we're kind of looking for it and trying to answer that question. What do we do with this? Uh, and there were some uh, mechanics of the game that things like that, where we weren't sure how those were going to play out because we hadn't played that many games, et cetera. Josh, what was one of the, uh, do you remember what one of the bigger kind of rules or mechanics that you thought we needed to put in place 
to make league play or campaign play fun for everybody? Um, you know, just based on experiences from running, you know, our Necromenda leagues or Mordheim, and you know, do we do we put caps on how many games you play per week? You know, because will the World War Band advance more quickly, and will the number of artifacts and command traits, and you know, does it become overwhelming or too powerful? And uh, we also talked about, you know, the terrain, what the terrain rules were, because they were fairly vague, and you know, they clarified that a bit in the fact, which helped. But at the time, it was, well, can we shoot through these grates? If you do, do you get cover? You know, how does that work? You know, do you get line of sight? Could you use spells? You know, so there was, you know, some of those things we weren't sure if we should put some rules in place for the terrain features or, you know, or just wait and see if it actually became an issue or not because we didn't have a lot of ranged attacks to begin with. Um, So those are a few that, you know, I can think of that. Yeah, stuck in my so, mind. So let's talk. Let's break those down a little bit. Um, let's talk about. Um, let's get the one about shooting or hitting through grates. Um, how much did you get people asking about that or, or complaining about that? Yeah, I never. I never heard anybody ask. Well, no, there were a couple people who had asked. You know, can you do that? And you know, we just said yes, you can. Um, and, and at that time, you didn't have a cover save. Um, although I think most people kind of included that just because in other skirmish type games, you would get cover. Um, I think, you know, the question came up more often is, you know, if you're within an inch of that, can you attack through it? And um, and then there was, I know there was a lot of debate on the Internet. Oh, yeah, you could use uh, spears, but not a sword. Well, you know, you can't you can't disseminate, separate those two in the game itself because, you know, they're not split up that way. But uh, I don't think we had had that come up. You know, I think uh, in most cases people attacked through a doorway if there was one there. Uh, there wasn't really a whole lot in terms of attacking through walls or grates that ever came up. So it, it became a non-issue, I think, in a lot of cases. And then yeah. the fact released the terrain clarifications, which helps, I think, solve a lot of that potential issue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, yeah, the the concern was how often was that going to happen and, and would it you know break the immersiveness of the game to be able to attack through there um and you know some people could had an explanation for it narratively some people couldn't get past it narratively in the end we decided uh overall we we decided to run most of the rules as written and and very vanilla not changing many things but this was one where we weren't sure we played it as is and it it didn't really come up much Mm. Um, we didn't have anybody feel like they're losing games or or getting frustrated over it or anything like that like it i just never heard about it yeah um, and uh so i think you know yeah and i think the that you get cover if you're the receiving end of that um mm-hmm. uh makes total sense um or in general if you're yeah if you're um uh on the other side of it but um then you know the big one i think that we talked about was how do you limit the number of games people play Mm-hmm. Um, and in the end, uh, Josh, you were able to, to get the most games in, um, because you were the most excited. Uh, mm-hmm. but, but also, I mean, it was fantastic to be able to give people a place, you know, somebody who is willing to play games or m- meet someplace for games. Um, so getting in the most games, do you, did you feel like that was as impactful on your results? Um, you know, I think we, we kind of talked about this before. I think, it's it's a mixture of things. I think the because well, it was our first league, so um, just because I had gotten so many games in, I was also a lot more experienced with my warband and and better able to take advantage of 
the Destiny levels and artifacts and, and things that I had. So I think in some cases, as Paven touched on, it kind of felt like, oh, wow, I've, you know, this, this mission is super easy for me against this particular opponent because I had a lot of points and I had a lot of Destiny levels and really good artifacts. And so I think it could come into play. Um, I think it's probably not an issue overall because I think in general, most people are going to get maybe a couple games in a week, maybe three. Um, but you're going to win some, you're going to lose some. And um, I think as long as people are staying active and all playing together, everybody will kind of evolve at the same rate. I think it becomes a little more challenging when you have new people come in and um, and then you have people who've been around for maybe six weeks playing and their warbands are highly evolved and you have new players coming in and they're, you know, no experience whatsoever. And I think those are the circumstances where we kind of thought about changes we can incorporate in the second league. But also I think circumstances where I started to bring a warband to help play against new players that wasn't my own, like Paven had said, just to give those people a more um, equal experience because it, cause it can have an impact on play. It can feel different. Paven, you also got uh, quite a few games in. How impactful do you think think it was to have, be able to, to get more games in on kind of how you progressed through the campaign or through your quest or how you matched up versus other players in the league? Well, I, I think the games you play are super important because that's like the whole thing. Um, mm-hmm. Because it's how you advance on your quest, it's how you get your warband better, it's how you get better at the game, especially in this one where, uh, you know, because so far uh, down the, the learning curve. But one of the best things I think about like Warcry, Warcry leagues and the way they've set it up is how little things you actually have to do. Um, because like everybody's just on their own adventure and you don't necessarily need to keep parity with everybody. It's like a, um, asymmetrical game anyway. Um, it's not, we're not, we're not running a like kind of match play league. So everybody's going to be at a little different place and we don't really have to make, you know, you don't have to do a lot of coordination over the top to make things run smoothly. People can show up and things work great. Yeah. I think, I mean, I think the thing that you hit on the on the nail on the head, um, Josh, was that playing more games gave you more experience, which um, certainly I think contributed to you earning more glory <laughs> in those games, mm-hmm. and you know, getting your advancing your your territories and having more points on the table, um, and you know, at the end of the day. Um, if, if you're playing somebody with a thousand points at the top end, you have 1300 versus their thousand, which is generally two to two big models, uh, additionally, or, you know, a handful of, of smaller models and more activations, mm-hmm. um, which can, can definitely change the, the balance of the game, uh, or in terms of that you're bringing different things. That being said, um, most of the games you play, uh, you know, you're just advancing your, um, advancing your time or your, your, pro- your progress, right? Mm-hmm. Win or lose. Um, you're the, I tend to think that the thing that affects the game the most is the victory condition and the war band that, uh, you know, may have an advantage this way or that way. Mm-hmm. Um, but like you said, the other thing is that we're not 
we're not in a competitive space and you know we can promote kind of that that use of of you know use a use a different war brand or be a little bit more casual or um the thing that was that worried me about the idea of limiting how much somebody could play um was had to do with one kind of if somebody's just really jazzed about the game wanting mm-hmm. to give them you know the room to play um but i think you know for instance josh you played you were available for a lot of other people's convergences and um you know other things so like when you can play more games you're helping you're you're often helping other people out with their games right right um, yep. and so there's there's an aspect and especially as we get into uh, challenges monster battles etc where like we get together on a Thursday and your game might be playing a monster versus somebody else and you're not progressing your own warband. So I think, you know, there are some trade-offs for being able to play more games and that sort of stuff. And I think, but I think that was more apparent as a creating those gaps as a first league. Mm-hmm. And now as we have a new league and more people have uh, played the game more and learned more, I think that, that experience gap changes um, and and the number of games you played is going to become less less yeah. impactful. Yeah. No, and, and you know, just to add to that is one of the reasons I played so many games is because I was excited and, you know, as the narrative aspect of this is so much fun is you want to see your warband grow and develop and complete that quest, you know, and try to start the next one. So it was definitely nice to be able to do that. And I'm not, yeah, not suggesting that people do limit it. I, I think, you know, just because it was the first league, I felt there, you know, there were some challenges if there, if there was a more experienced warband and, and people who weren't as experienced. But I definitely think that we've accounted for that a little bit in the second league, and and I don't think that's, you know, that's as the community grows, that's less of an issue, and everybody is more experienced and willing to teach new players, which is a, a huge benefit to allowing people to play more games. Yep. yep. And I think there's always going to be an exception to to like changing how you play for a new player. Right. Um, Definitely. Yeah. In any game. In any yeah. game. But uh, um, what were some of the other, um, you know, some of the other mechanics that we were worried about? Obviously we got a few, you know, we were learning as we were doing it and trying to figure out how some things worked like cover saves and that sort of thing. Were there any mechanics that came up a lot in terms of kind of questions about how it played? One that, that came to mind was falling and how that works, you know, because sometimes it's with a critical hit or sometimes it's when you're jumping and you're landing or sometimes when it's when you're climbing and you can fall. And, and when does your opponent get to move you versus you get to move yourself? You know, that came up a few times just kind of explain when what that order was and when it happened. And, you know, but once people got it, it was it was pretty smooth. Yeah. yeah. Paven, were there any uh, rules questions that seemed to come up a lot with new players? Well, in your games. Um, yeah, it was like often it'd be like, dang, that gloom swipe gets quad is good. I'm like, yeah, that's the way to read this rule. There's only one way. <laughs> Sorry. It's still good. Yeah. yeah. I do think, um, I mean, with anything new, the, the thing that uh, you, you've always got to temper a little bit is people are always going to be surprised by things. Mm-hmm. Like everything's a surprise at first. And that's part of what we love about a new game, right? Is that everything's new, but that can also be hard when you do have uh, this game has these um, high highs, right? 
where you know you can have a model in a you know you from your planes runner who can roll three dice and whiff and do no damage to your leader who can be buffed up and do 24 damage um there's spikes and you there's a lot of new warbands and there's a you know we're not playing all the warbands and so th- sometimes things on paper look uh scarier than they are in real life uh some things on paper look less scary until you actually receive it and you know uh even that swing between a quad that re- that relies on the dice number between getting a quad that's a 2 and a quad that's a 6 the impact of that is 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 different right um and so i think that was probably the thing that i personally had to kind of temper in my own head but also temper in others is that kind of that knee jerk reaction to want to label something broken or want to label something you know uh overpowered uh because you're seeing it in action there but you haven't seen your own thing in action yet right i didn't know that if i could get a quad 6 and put that on my my leader or my dogs that giving them plus three attacks and plus three strength uh, would just make them beasts. Uh, you know, I didn't know how big of an impact that was going to have on games when I saw it at first. I was like, eh, you know, I don't know when that's going to come into play. Would I, would I rather have a, you know, a quad or a triple or whatever. Um, so things like that, that, that so we you know you don't you don't know all your rules you don't know all their rules and so getting surprised by things was something that's really good to temper and kind of set some expectations on mm-hmm. um what was what was the biggest surprise for you pavent in terms of besides the gloom spike quad were there any what was the biggest surprise for you um out of you know playing games and and matching up against different warbands hmm good question biggest surprise like game wise like, I never knew what anybody's warbands did, and I still mostly don't know. Um, <laughs> uh, I guess, like, how important... Um, so, but some of the wisdom I've gained is, like, how important movement and just number of activations is, and how important just getting bodies on the floor um, could, it, like, affect the outcome. Yeah. Um, that's probably something that I didn't quite realize just reading the rules. I think that's uh that was definitely one of the bigger surprises I learned throughout the league is how important you know um number of models and and, and or activations could be um and specifically you know certain missions it, it's a huge you know bonus to have more models or more activations and um I think some of the surprises I had were cases where you knew you were facing against uh, a tough opponent but when you drew the cards for the mission you know, it totally changes the dynamic. You know, it's like, oh, I've got this deployment and this is the victory, and here's the twist. Oh, wow, this twist just helped me a whole lot. Now this this opponent is less scary. You know, so I, I thought it was really interesting how, again, you know, just the the randomness of of the cards can really change the dynamic of the game and the dynamic of the warbands. And it goes both ways. Sometimes it makes it really easy for you, and other times it makes it less hard. You know, so but I, I appreciated that dynamic because it, it it made it more interesting and a little bit more fun. You know, yeah. there, there are games where you know, like like we talked about, where I played Paven for his final convergence, and I played you for your final convergence. And I, you know, there was a difference of 250 to 300 points, but I still felt like I had a chance to, to, to thwart you, to beat you, you know, based on the, the mission and the twists and everything else. And I think that's important because you still feel engaged, even though there, you may feel like it's going to be hard or a tough yeah. warband or a tough game or whatever. Yeah. 
No, I think the biggest surprise for me was that we're that on, there is that spectrum similar to what we talked about in terms of the effectiveness of a quad or you know the the highs and lows of a warband's capabilities was that there were certainly some players where they'd play a game and turn one it was decided uh the victory was achieved um and that being a very fast thing and and sometimes can be can feel bad for the person who who lost um but at the same time uh there were like you know very difficult convergences where um, even knowing everything ahead of time and having time to think about it or, or plan, um, it's still depending on your matchup or depending on, uh, you know, where your deployment ended up being, it can be a really hard, um, hard to achieve, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you know, uh, Josh, I had however many more points, you know, um, to have 200 more points than you or, or 250 yeah. more points. Mm-hmm. Um, but my, my win condition, picking a, a square and making sure you have zero uh, models in it by the end of the game, versus your win condition, which is just having one model survive in each uh, quadrant by the end of the game. Um, whether that can be hard or easy, depending on your warband or you know whatever. Like I'm obviously finding that to be a much harder task for me um, uh, in this, and so but that that makes that challenging. It makes it unexpected. Uh, you don't know which one's going to be easy. You don't know which one's going to be hard. Um, and so that was a surprise to me in terms of not surprising that it would be, have some imbalances, but just the, the starkness of those and, but how much they also add to the character of this game. Mm-hmm. Um, so, which is also why I think we lean so heavily towards the, the blind, um, fulfillment of the, the cards because it's kind of like, Hey, well, let's just see what happens next. Um, <laughs> uh, and it's, it's kind of cool that way. Um, and, and maybe that some of that changes as people get to make more strategic decisions about, you know, where the deployment is compared to the, based on the victory, et cetera. Mm-hmm. But, um, so those are some of the mechanics kind of going into it that we were worried about. Um, you know, ha- partway through, I think one of the big ones that we were most worried about was, people getting through their first convergence. And as you know, we noted not everybody got through their first convergence mm-hmm. um, and completed that. And so that was certainly for certain war bands or certain players getting through that, um, their particular war bands, you know, quest co- first convergence was hard. Um, and we did see one player change up their war band completely mm-hmm. um, because they'd gone up against it a couple of times and just in general weren't, seeing that like whether that be uh so they're playing iron jaws and whether that be that iron jaws have a have a uh, uphill battle being so few models and activations or uh just not fitting the play style he wants to play you know he ended up going to the splintered fang which is a has a different vibe altogether um you know and wanting to play something else that that he was interested more interested in you know some of those things were questions that about halfway through we were like well how, what do we do if somebody's feeling a little frustrated about that not getting through their convergences um yeah were there any kind of uh you know obviously you guys don't have any issue um totally clubbing baby seals um, <laughs> uh, and, and stealing convergences from people who are the right winners of those um <laughs> What were some of your feelings about the, you know, those sorts of things like that, that the, the convergence being 
kind of a thing that you had to earn, uh, the double-edged sword of that. Uh, Paven, what were, did you run into any situations where either your, you couldn't do your convergence or somebody else was, was kept from theirs where it felt like it was, it felt bad or, um, didn't ring the way you wanted it to? Yeah, um, this is something I think I've talked about before that it just feels a little bit like the fun police when you're, you know, preventing somebody from doing their, their, their first, uh, any of their convergences, but especially their first one where they're just like getting going yep. and you're just like, you know, shutting their dreams down. I don't think it's, I think yeah, it, it does feel better, I believe, to earn them. And I don't think you should just get them for showing up necessarily. Uh, but when it's somebody's like, second third or more attempt then it you know it feels less less fun or less less good um so yeah that's that's my uh, personally i i think i always passed my convergences um but you know i'm just oh, hey, la di da very cool very cool yeah um so i mean those were a number of the things going into it and partway through that that we were kind of worried about or thinking about when we did end up doing kind of a poll afterwards, we did a, a little bit of a, a kind of a, a feedback, uh, Google doc, Google poll, et cetera. And, and, uh, uh, if anybody's interested, they can write us, I can share what we put together for a poll. We ended up getting, I think five responses again out of the 16. Uh, and I'm sure it was, you know, mostly the two of you complaining about, you know, how bad a job <laughs> I did. Uh, <laughs> uh, but in general, we had a high, like, uh, positivity again, kind of our, the experience in the league was, was high. Um, it was out of, a, out of 10, it was eight, nine, eights, nines and tens. Uh, so nobody was feeling, uh, poor out of likely to, to participate again. We had all fives. Um, so those are sorts of things. Um, but there was a couple of, of things that kind of, um, if there's anything which impacted your experience, which you'd like to see changed, um, how progress, uh, progressing the quest, uh, was one of them, uh, was, was a number that, you know, two of them came up with is kind of getting past that, that convergence. Um, you know, one of the questions was, or the idea was some kind of mercy rule for convergences. Um, uh, you know, so, so it was something that, again, this is probably one of the newest things that, Warcry brings so there's some getting used to it and I think that there's some benefit from setting better expectations for the players on what the convergences mean and that sort of thing um, but overall you know that was probably one of the things that we got feedback on the most was what do we do about that um, and we'll, we'll talk more about that in a little bit um, was there anything else that stood out to you guys about our first league that, that you'd want to talk about or want to bring up. Uh, league was a great experience. It was super fun. Um, it felt like I don't think I'd be as nearly as excited or invested in Warcry the game or, you know, my war band, if it wasn't for the league and the consistent league night and to be able to like achieve my uh, goblin dreams. Uh, <laughs> I guess so if there's anybody that's thinking about running a, a Warcry league, I bet it, you know, having not run this one and I'm not running the next one, but I bet you could get away with running a, like running a league without a lot of like overhead and effort. Mm-hmm. Um, just show up consistently, you know, do some recruiting. Um, but there's not going to be a lot of, you know, I don't know, spreadsheet keeping up to date. If you don't want to. 
Yeah, I mean, yeah, if you want to get a spreadsheet, <laughs> that's fine. So, yeah, it was yeah. great. Do it. It was super fun. Yeah. Uh, Josh, was there anything else that stood out? Some of the things I think that uh, were nice is, you know, like whenever you'd play against Paven or somebody else who had a convergence, you know, we'd, you know, so some, some of us would ask them to read, okay, so you, you know, what is this convergence? You know, read us the, the narrative aspect that's in the book. What are you trying to do? And then, you know, what happened at the success? If they succeeded, what does it tell you happened? You know, to try and draw some more of that narrative flavor into the game and make it more interesting, I thought was a lot of fun. Um, I think having um, little motivating tidbits along the way was was, was uh, helpful to have. You know, like having those tokens to hand out and saying, oh, whoever's got the the most glory in the first half will get some tokens, uh, first top three or something like that. And then we made sure, you know, that... Whoever got tokens the first half didn't get tokens the second half. But then you added the narrative flavor of, okay, we're going to hand out these medals, but it's going to be for best painted warband, and, and we're just going to have it sit there for a week, and people are going to come to the store and then vote for what they think. So I think having those sorts of um, you know rewarding aspects along the way for hobby progress, you know, yes, we had some for rewarding good gameplay, we had some rewarding good hobby efforts. And I think having a mix of that is, is motivating for people to show up and also to, to continue working on their war bands or pick up a new one and, and, and keep keep the excitement level going. Yeah. Um, for bookkeeping, I guess, uh, because I haven't hadn't done this before, um, I basically ask people to take a picture of their roster at the end of the week. So if they played Thursday and they weren't going to get any more games, then they could take a picture and send it to our, our uh, Facebook Messenger or I could take a picture of it then, uh, or I'd give them until Wednesday before our, uh, the day before our event to post those up. And then what I would do is I would simply keep track of, I, I had tracking or a spreadsheet of who was in the league and who wasn't basically, um, a couple of these stats. I kind of wanted to see who did chaos, who did something new. Um, and then I just was trying to keep track of which point in their quest they were on for kind of just a progress, not how many games they played or anything like that. And then I'd uh, look at kind of how much glory they would have or the number of territories and how much glory uh, that they had that wasn't spent on uh, artifacts or mustering more forces in a game. So there wasn't a ton to track. It was fun to track some of those things. Yeah, I'm not a spreadsheet person, but if you are, you might be able to get a few more things out of that. Um so we're going to take a break now, and when we come back, we're going to talk about starting up the second league and things that we've changed and ideas that we have for experimenting, and we'll share those in just a minute. So you like podcasts about miniature games, huh? If you want to dive deep into the Age of Sigmar lore through Black Library novels and army battle tomes, check out the Mortal Realms podcast hosted by Aaron, Davey, Paul, and myself. And if you're into the miniatures and deck building game Underworlds, Spend an activation on What the Hex, where Davey, Phil, and other guests talk casually about improving your fun and gameplay. All right, enough of this not Warcry stuff. Welcome back. Um, we're going to jump right into kind of how we've started off, uh, kicked off our second league. Um, and we're running for kind of another eight weeks, but we're kind of in the holiday season we know that we wanted to, to, to roll out some monsters and mercenaries. We wanted to experiment with some rules and some some changes to kind of help the experience. We wanted to balance, you know, some not doing too many changes. 
Um, and again, these changes are more focused on kind of our, our league and our group having fun and encouraging uh, play, etc. So it's there's two parts to this. Um, one part is kind of rules changes or adjustments that we made, and these are all experiments. So we did give these to our uh, players as the expectation we've set is that we're going to try these, but we could change them uh, at the end of this league. And so people have, in that regard, people have been very open to them. Uh, it doesn't feel like we're saying, hey, if you're in this league, you play this way. Um, our, our league has, has really kind of created that atmosphere of we're willing to try some things. And that's been really cool. Um, and then the other part are, is kind of our league rules, uh, things we've added on to kind of add some flavor, add some interest, um, make some things that are achievable beyond or uh, not just thinking about your quest. Um, so let's start with the rules. Um, why don't we uh, take some turns and you can go ahead and uh, pick one of the rules that we've changed and we can you can introduce what that change is if you're familiar enough, if you're comfortable enough, and then we can talk a little bit about the reasoning behind it. Does that sound like a good plan of action, Josh? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Awesome. Well, then why don't I let you go first and uh, pick one of these kind of rules changes adjustments and and what it was and what did we change it to? Definitely. Uh, so so one of the rules that I thought would be a nice addition to kind of um, counter uh, cases where people had more experienced warbands that are more developed to play against younger or newer warbands is to introduce kind of this underdog rule uh, in a campaign that Eric and I had played in for Necromunda. There's a nice underdog mechanic which rewards somebody for playing somebody that's potentially more challenging. So for this particular league, we decided the best way to do that, and we had some feedback from from Paul and, and Paven on, on all the, the rules that we kind of introduced, is we decided that, okay, if your opponent has more dominated territories than you, then during the aftermath sequence, you get one additional glory point per 100 points round to the nearest hundredth um, in warband size for playing the game. And then that way, even if you know they've got 1,300 points and you've got 1,000, if you've you know you tried your best but you couldn't win because you know they were maybe they're too strong the mission you know was against you you still got three extra glory points for that 300 point difference so you still feel like okay even if I lost I still got a lot of glory because I just played the game and I get three bonus I have four glory points right off the bat so I think it, re- it was a nice way to reward people for even trying those challenging games yeah yeah and and it kind of plays off of the the rule that lets you spend more to put more on the table so that um in the end uh you know it it is a way for you know if somebody doesn't want to spend glory to kind of try and add 100 points to try and get closer to their their opponent who has more territory uh you could do that but also if the person who has the more territory and has the the ability to put more points on the table, they could decide to just put a thousand points on the table to match their opponent. And then they don't get that extra glory. Right. But they've also created a more balanced game. In what situation would you want your opponent just to have less glory at the end? I think there's a, you know, it's more prizes, right? You know, if you're like, Oh, I really want those acrylic tokens. I got to make sure I got enough glory. Yeah. So. Yeah. I mean, it felt. Right, if, you really, it, if you really want the tokens, I will give you the tokens. <laughs> uh, that was just well, an example. <laughs> well, I'll say that uh, losing my last convergence and also giving Josh uh, 
three plus glory uh, <laughs> on top of him winning the convergence or winning the victory. Uh, you know, I, I would have maybe would have it's a gamble, right? Like I'm I'm bringing in my full amount. But if I have a high risk of not pulling it out, then, you know, that's a five for victory, six, seven, eight. So, I mean, he's he's uh, going six, ahead really nine. fast. Yeah, yeah, that's before all the other war bands taken out, et cetera. But um, so it's, I guess it's more of this that resource play. Um, and more so against, you know, yeah, your opponents that you know uh, you can be more competitive against than, um, yeah, somebody else. But, yeah, I mean, it's too. If it just gives you – might give you that incentive to, 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 to pull, pull your punch a little bit and how many models you put on the table. Sure. Um, I, I, I don't quite buy that trade-off, but I do feel like this rule feels really good in that, like, it's nice to have, like – Oh no, like I'm going into an uphill battle. I already know it, but like, oh, but I got this upside. And so yeah. that, 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 that has a good play feel. And also, you know, just getting more glory for going up against a harder opponent just sounds right and, yeah. and like feels right from a narrative perspective. Like you're going to take on the big dog in town. You get that, uh, you get that, that extra rep. Yeah, um, yeah definitely. <laughs> Paven, do you have one that you want to? That you liked or wanted to talk about? Mm-hmm. The falling, the falling rule, um, the house rule there, where you get you do um, for every three inches you fall, you roll an additional die six. Um, you know, with the same kind of impact damage rule on a four up, you take one, but on a six, you take three. So if you fall from nine inches, you could take as much as nine. Um, I think I think that feels right. It feel I mean, it means makes more sense when we because we do have uh, Eric. You specifically have a lot of terrain that is very tall, and it feels like you should just be taking more than one damage from falling off of all that. Or, or <laughs> um, so that feels really good. It doesn't really impact our games on average very much unless we're using those very specific tables. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but that's a cool one. That's a cool house rule that I feel like. Is adds to the narrative, but doesn't like make the game like more confusing to play. Yeah, very cool. I'm glad you like that one. Um, I will pick uh, our. We added this one kind of last. We realize that um, consumable artifacts don't get used that much. Um, it, for what they do, they t- they currently, as r- rules is written, take an action to use so usually it's something you imbibe or you know smash or something like that and so it takes an action to use it um but often you almost always i wish that i had one more action to use with it um so if i want to so for instance there's the um the the bubbles of of smoke or ulgu something and so you take an action to smash it and then it gives you um fly uh, well, if I'm trying to get away from something, so it's great if you want to just hop over, um, hop over a, a train piece and get to the other side of it. Um, but usually they can chase you pretty easily after that. Or if you get to that other side, you can't do anything once you get there. So I rarely use it. If I'm trying to escape someplace, I can usually get there faster by climbing and jumping. Um, or, you know, doing two moves, I guess, you know, so things like that where I feel like, uh, it doesn't always get used, and so I end up with a lot of artifacts that are the consumable ones specifically that don't get used. So we're experimenting with the ability to use consumables as an ability. 
an or as an action. So giving you, you still have your ability to use it as an action. Um, so you can use it uh, as your first action or second action. So then you can still use an ability that activation. Um, or if you wanted to use it as an ability, then you still have both your actions during that activation. Um, and the ability, just to clarify, doesn't require dice. It's like a, a free ability. It just takes up that ability use for that model. Yep. Instead of using a different ability on your card or using dice from your ability pool, you just use your consumable artifact. And so it, we're going to test that out, see how it works. But hopefully we use more of those, um, use, use more artifacts. They play more a role in the game. And, um, you know, we see those crossed off faster. And then, you know, maybe you're more likely to want to roll for more artifacts in that phase, right? Um, so we will see. So this this is my first time hearing about uh, this proposed change. And I really, and I like it. I liked it more when I thought it was going to use dice because I feel like that had a more meaningful trade-off and maybe doesn't um, kind of affect the power levels of these lesser artifacts as much. And you could also print out a little like additional universal ability just for our campaign that is, you know, like, you know, slam the brewski, which is like double <laughs> use a lesser artifact as that has an action as uh, no action. Um, so you I, know, was, I already had aesthetic in mind. <laughs> you know, it could be interesting is we, that's how you use your singles. Uh, you know, and so yeah. instead of initiative or uh, in addition, like just have them there and then you could have used them. Yeah. That's a potentially. So, I mean, if you're interested, if you wanted to create some limitation, additional limitation on it, if you felt like it was uh, part, I mean, you know, part of what we're doing here is trying to experiment with, is it work in that space? Because right now it feels like they're just not used at all. Um, the consumable ones, uh, they just stick on a, on a model forever until you replace it with something better. Um, yeah. But like some of them, you just got to use ahead of time, like the, the vial of Jabbersite blood last right. the entire game. So you usually want to use it on like that first turn when maybe you're just maneuvering that you can use it and then just like in prep for the battle later turns because you never want to use it instead of taking another action like you talked about. So, yep. yeah. yeah. And so, I think uh, part of the challenge is, uh, you know, this, this is a discussion that kind of started on the Warcry Warhammer Facebook page. And then we carried out uh, a little separately from that, but for example, the perishable items, they're always in effect. There's a 50% chance you lose them at the end of the game, but they're always in effect. And so you never lose that extra action. You know, you don't. So that's why we mm -hmm. kind of thought, well, maybe we have to have some mechanic to maybe make consumables more similar in effect. And, you know, so having it as an ability. So, okay, so you can't use an ability that you might want to use for a double, triple, quad for that model if you want to use that. Or, or you could use it as an action and still have access. We thought maybe that would be an okay trade-off, especially with monsters and mercenaries. If you fight a monster, you know, especially with the checklist, if you fight a monster you can't tame, you essentially rip it apart for three rolls on the lesser artifact table. And that sounds great, but if you get a bunch of these consumables that you never use, then it's not really an incentive to fight a monster to get more artifacts. And so we were trying to find some way to spend that currency, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. I think, again, this is uh, for all these, we want to be experimental. We want to be open to kind of trying to find a, an opening spot for it to land where it can be interesting. And, and again, we err on the side of permissive, let people use it and then dial it back. Um, and, and we'll, we'll see what happens with it, but mm -hmm. no, I, I, I get that. That's uh 
out of the gate, it seems it seems different. Uh, so, Josh, why don't you cover the last one? What what was our solution uh, that we want to try out and test for convergences during this league? No, definitely. So, you know, as we talked a little bit about, we you know the we faced uh, we had a lot of people who had challenges on their convergences. Some people who played multiple convergences and failed them all and decided to start new warbands or restart their campaign quests entirely. And some people who just dropped off. Um, so we tried to think of a variety of ways to handle this, you know, from anything from they try it twice and they automatically pass or they pay a certain amount of glory or, and uh, so I think, I think Eric, you kind of put a nice spin on it where, okay, you can pass with diplomacy. So um, you can choose diplomacy over combat um, and then you just got to touch base with, with Eric or myself in the, in the league and for the cost for of one dominated territory, if you had one that you wanted to spend or glory up to 1d6 for the first convergence, 2d6 for the second um, of glory points. You could spend that and say, okay, we're going to bypass this convergence with diplomacy rather than combat and then get all the rewards and everything, etc. However, your final convergence, you still had to beat to complete your quest because we thought that was absolutely mandatory to, to have any sort of say in actually completing your quest. Yeah. So early on that very first one, if you have 1d6, you know, it's a random roll, so it's kind of puts a little bit of, of gambling in there, right? You could, you could pay one glory and get through your first convergence. And in this case, you get the stuff. Um, and you can decide how, how good you feel about yourself <laughs> after that. Uh, <laughs> But, uh, and it got a little bit harder as you got to your second one. It could be 12 glory, um, or it could be a convert, you know, one of your, um, dominated territories, which has a little bit more sting to it because a lot of your challenges and stuff require those dominated territories. So there's some, hopefully some, some thought in there that it wouldn't just be an easy, easy decision. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but in the end, you know, kind of, we would want to just Josh or I to kind of just see how somebody's feeling. And, and, you know, kind of give them, you know, kind of remind them of that option if they feel like they're hitting a wall with it or something like that and they just want to get past it. Um, so it's a, it's a little bit of narrative reasoning. Uh, not sure if people are going to want to do that or if, if, if maybe if you give them that easy way out and that it's a choice that choosing to keep battling and going up against that thing will feel better, right? It's not just a force, but it's their choice to do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but maybe that'll make the, the, the uphill battle that some of those can be uh, more meaningful. Mm-hmm. Um, what are your can thoughts I, on that one, Pavin? Oh, uh, I like it. Um, one thing I don't like is I don't think it should be called diplomacy because that is not, there's no place <laughs> for diplomacy in the A points. Uh, it should be called, I don't know, like trickery or bribery, but like Coercion. a subtle way of like the challenge that is underhanded and but still right. very Bribery. easy. Um, yeah. That's fair. That's so fair. That, that's, that's, that's my only, that's my only thought. Yeah. So, so maybe we could put something where that's, you could, uh, of those things that you mentioned, <laughs> all of those are, are potential names and you get to decide how you uh, converged it. Yeah. Like yep. how you got around it. Did you like, you know, bribe a local warlord or did you sneak past everybody or did right. you, I don't know. Assassinate. Yeah, just just kill everybody in their beds and then move on. <laughs> yeah, no, I like that. We require narrative justification. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you can give them a, a really good or positive uh, narrative justification. Yeah, so that's that's kind of the way we're going to handle it is give them an out, uh, but that it has some cost to it. 
uh, both narratively and uh, mechanically. All right, now let's talk about uh, some of the things that we chose to do to kind of make league-specific rules. I guess one of the things that we wanted to address uh, between new players and, and more experienced players in the league and, and that gap between someone who's starting off with their brand new warband that doesn't have any artifacts or glory or you know experience um, or numbers on the table, dominated territories, is to give them some incentives for joining the league. Um, so you know you might say, hey, we're three weeks in. Do you want to join the league? And they're like, well, I think you know everybody's already started. They've got warbands already kind of figured out. Uh, so in this case, we've decided to to um, if you're joining the league for uh, the first time, no, just joining the league at all, right? Uh, right. You get uh, one glory and one lesser artifact roll for each week the league has been running. So on week four, if you're joining the league, you're going to get plus four glory and you're going to roll for f- uh, four rolls on the artifacts table. Um, and, you know, we can, s- you're not advancing in your your quest per se you still got to fight through your battles and whatnot but you've got a little something to get you started so that if you're um, wanted to spend some glory to put more models on the table if you wanted to roll you know get some more artifacts so you have uh, something more to play with uh, in the games that you got a little bit more of a starting spot any thoughts or comments on that uh, Paven or Josh yeah I think it's a nice addition and it's a kind of derived from one of the feedback uh, comments we had gotten from the first league you know that sometimes that disparity um made it difficult for people um to just get involved in the league so i think uh, you know we didn't want to go too strong and i think this is a good balance and i guess we'll just see how it works out the next piece of uh addition to kind of promoting the league etc if you have a friend that signs up so kind of a if you get somebody else to join the league you get three glory points um just an incentive to to ask more people in uh, it's not a ton. It's not going to break anybody's, you know, put anybody over the edge, but maybe it's just a, a thank you for, for inviting somebody in. Um, then we've got painted warband. If you play with an all painted warband of a thousand points or more, I guess we have to do approximately a thousand points, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, that you get plus two glory points for playing that game with with uh, all painted models. It's a one time reward. Yeah. Uh, is it? Yeah, I thought that's how it's because. Well, right. we, okay. I think I always assumed it was a one time reward, but yeah, I guess that uh, maybe we didn't clarify. <laughs> no, we didn't. I guess well, I guess we have to talk. Uh, no, um, but the idea there is again, it may be a. The, the downside is of doing it every time would be um, that you may not want to start a new warband, which, mm-hmm. um, right. but I th- did we, no, we didn't put any points in there for starting a new warband. Um, nope. um, uh, but basically to encourage painting models and, you know, giving people kind of a, a more reason and motivation to um, put more stuff on the table that's painted. I uh, just wanted to add some points in there. Um, you know, and it's kind of like how, you know, works in space that are painted red go faster, <laughs> you know, uh, war bands in Warcry that are painted have more glory, you know, they take, get more noticed. Um, and then, uh, 
one of the things since we're introducing uh, monster the challenges, and that means that not you know when we were playing with um, convergences and somebody was being the um, adversary for for somebody in the convergence, um, they we decided that they were progress they would progress their own quest, um, and I think I don't. I don't know that that's what the stock rules say. So that might have been something we had already changed. But basically... It, it, you do. You, any games uh, you play progress your main quests. Yeah. Um, and so in this case, though, when you play... If you if somebody wants to play a challenge battle, meaning that they go up against a monster, then somebody has to, to pilot the monster, and they're, no, they're not progressing their own warbands uh, battle, their, their quest. So as a balance of that, that if you play uh, as a monster for somebody else's challenge, that you get three glory points for your warband. Yeah, it's not really dependent. It's just kind of a thank you, like, because yeah. playing somebody else's challenge battles, it's not thankless. It's still fun to pilot a, a monster. Mm-hmm. But it just gives you, if you if that's the only game you played in, a, in that week, then it gives you some progress to make. And one of the things we kind of thought about is, okay, well, if, you know, if we have too much glory being handed out, does it impact, you know, does it make some warbands more powerful than others? But we, we think with the Monsters and Mercenaries edition that to the nice thing about challenge battles is it encourages you to play these unique games that are outside of the campaign. And to be able to do that, you have to have dominated territories, which you stake. And so this just helps some of those people get more dominated territories so they can stake those and try out some of those challenge battles, which I think will be fun experiences for people. Paven, do you have any thoughts on, on some of those? I think ways of getting more glory is good for everyone. Because um, I think the people that win a lot are always going to have like more than they need. And then I think everybody else probably needs a little help. I don't know. I don't see any big downside to just like handing out glory like candy. <laughs> um, but, but let people like as long as it's not like give some people something to do but the the league is only eight weeks and i think everybody should be able to get up to that um yeah. six dominated territories by the end but get those allies be able to run those challenge battles like um you know field all the all, all the all the minis yeah, so, yeah. board. Yeah. You don't prescribe to the the idea that mo glory mo problems. <laughs> oh yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm waiting for Payman to laugh even a I'm, little. I know. Yeah, I'm tr- I'm thinking of like a cute response, but I got nothing. <laughs> good good one, Eric. <laughs> <laughs> all right, I don't buy it. Um, all right. Now the next thing uh, we decided to do was add a uh, a layer. Um, of, of things. And this came a little bit, I, we had some experience with this sort of thing in, um, All Hallows Siege, um, which was an event we put on last year and, um, an AOS narrative event. And then, uh, we did a little bit of this similarly with, um, uh, with the Plunging Spires instead, because we don't have podiums. Certainly we have like, you know, the person who has the most second, third, first, second, third, most glory. Which is um, all right, but some of that's arbitrary, right? Some of that's um, uh, and in, we've made it a little bit more arbitrary with some of our incentives. And narrative games don't foster, don't flourish as well when you're focused on best gamer kind of thing. And so these um, are titles. Uh, these are achievements. These are kind of in line with the idea of of earning glory in the eight points. Um, you're 
alongside goes hand in hand with that is that you earn titles for yourself, you earn or for your warband, and so these titles are um, going to be things that we uh, kind of uh, hand out at the end of each league uh, to signify an achievement during the league. Um, so why don't we go ahead and do that same kind of round robin? Pavend, what was one of these? Uh, are there any of these that catch your eye or that uh, you've thought about striving for? Um, kind of getting into the league. Uh, well, I always want to win like the, you know, the nice guy award. That one would make me feel the best. Cause I really, I truly think like that's where the, the money is on being a nice opponent and fun to play against. Uh, <laughs> uh, the, so that's the communal the, capital. Me. Well, sorry, go ahead. The social capital. Yeah. Yeah. I want to have the most of the, uh, of the social currencies. Um, but yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, everything else is just like, uh, everything else I want to be able to do incidentally, which is like play games and hunt monsters. Um, so yeah. For me, monster hunter, uh, kind of was interesting at the end of the league, the war band that slayed the most monsters. Uh, I feel like if you, certainly if you spend, uh, a lot of time trying to take on challenges and not your convergences, you should probably get something for that. Because <laughs> you're probably you're probably not going to be the, the the glory uh, winner, um, but but in its own way, Josh, what was one that uh, that you really liked from from the list? Yeah, no, I think uh, one of the other fun ones is God favored. You know, at the end of the league, the warband with the most destiny levels, and and because destiny levels can be so random. You know, it depends on how many games you played, how many models are still on the table, and how many sixes you can roll, and, and or not. <laughs> <laughs> and so, it's, it, 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 at the end of the last league, it was really interesting to see, you know, how destiny levels factored in for some people's armies, and you know, how the warband, and how many models had multiple, and some had none. You know, so I thought it would just be a fun. Fun way to kind of compare people's luck with destiny levels at the end of the campaign. Cool. Yeah. And then we've got, uh, just kind of rounding them out, we've got uh, Glory Seeker, which is who earns the most glory or has the most glory stored up at the end of the league. And to be clear again, it's dominated territories plus any unspent glory. So if you spent glory getting more artifacts or on, um, you know, mustering more models during battles, that, that is lost glory. Um, but we all know that sometimes, you know, you add a few more models to your list, it can help you earn more glory in that battle and make up whatever you spend. So it's more of just a way to not have to keep track of <laughs> how much they've earned in total uh, over that over the course of of the league, but just whatever they end up with at the end. Yeah. Well, and then you have to decide too. So. If you if you happen to finish your quest and you want to start a new one, you lose all that glory, and it's like, oh, do I want the title or do I want to start the new quest? So yeah, I'm gonna balance nope. it out. Nope. <laughs> um, let's see, and then we've got uh, Warmonger at the end of the league, the warband that fought the most battles, so encouraging more games and you know getting out uh, outside of Thursdays and playing more with people. Um, then won the most battles. That's Apex. Um, so it's probably the most likely to be in coincide with the most glory, but you never know. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, uh, yeah, so we've got the, the glory seeker, God favored beast master, monster hunter, warmonger, apex, uh, spirit and the spirit award. So that means that all of these things are things that we are tracking with that. Um, I created a Google poll that is basically the aftermath phase 
um, but being able to, to, to write all those things in there and, um, oh, I think one of the ones that isn't on here is slain models, but I don't know if we put that on the aftermath thing. So whoever slays the, the most models of your opponent, which again is somewhat of a random thing. You know, first you take them out of action, then they roll on the, on the, uh, recovery table. And then, uh, yeah, just a couple of things with the in-store swag acrylic tokens we're tying to the glory, which is kind of what we did before because there's not enough to give out to everybody unless, I guess, yeah, you can give out a few, but especially the, the wound tokens, you need quite a few to be useful. Um, and then, uh, the chaotic, this, this season, they, they've got these alternate art chaotic beast cards. There's both furies and raptorixes. And so, um, uh, we're going to tie these to games in the store. And so after three games played in the store, you can get one of your cards. After six games played in the store, you can pick from one, the other card. So there's that. Um, we've, uh, we've gotten started. We've had, uh, two weeks of league as of this recording. Have you guys been playing any of these rules or, or had any kind of responses or experiences? Josh, how, how has it been for you? I think the one that has affected me the most so far is the underdog rule. Cause I had a game against Paven and I had a game against you where I was able to use the underdog rule and uh, get some bonus glory for challenging your, your much stronger war bands. And it was a nice boost for my freshly started war band to, to get that jump on it and help me get to a dominated territory more quickly. I, th- I definitely found that helpful. Paven is in it. Have, have you had a chance to incorporate any of these? I know these are, you know, it's always a danger in having another set of rules on top of the current rules. Uh, I mostly forgot about them. I <laughs> did give myself the extra underdog glory. Um, after reviewing them just now, I have, I'm have i trying to figure out whether I should give myself the painted one. But I don't think I do because they were painted last league. And any bonus glory I would have gotten this league would have happened in week one. And week one, I was still on my old quest. And so when my glory reset with the new quest, I would have lost that bonus painting glory. Or that's how I'm ruling it. Hey, that makes sense. Yeah. So okay. I'm, I, I try to be strict but fair with myself. Fortunately, like we were saying, uh, the we kicked off the league uh, the week before we had the event, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've, you know, we're kind of getting into the holiday season and that sort of stuff. So I would say. This I feel like this time of year is going to be a little bumpier for the league. Um, but as you were saying, we've got um, uh, Tome of Champions coming out, potentially a couple new war bands uh, re- revealing the Scions of the Flame, and if those come out soon. So we've got some things coming up in the new year that are uh, in the end of December in the new year that are I have another again potential to rejuvenate and add more to you know people coming back and looking back towards the game, um, and so uh, we're not going to slack off, but we may see lower numbers through the holidays. Um, but I think if we're consistent, if we have those dates ready for people to come, then if they're want to get out of the house, we can be that destination for that, um, and then kick something off. Uh, bigger in the in the new year and i'd say again because of the event i probably did less communication and and promotion of the league starting up than i had the previous so that's something i can uh, do better on for for the next uh season let's talk a little bit about other things that we didn't address or that we didn't change or things that are interesting about you know the league and 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 things that we could do different either from a rules 
or from a from game rules to league rules to um, you know kind of other things to kind of help um, make keep it fun, keep it interesting, keep it different. Um, Josh, what are some some things that have have come to mind to you in terms of what we could do next or or what might be interesting changes to to league play? Uh, well, I think uh, one thing I'm really interested in doing is uh, having a, a league can- uh, a league event. You know, kind of like in the September White Dwarf, there was an arena battle a league event where war bands got together and played a series of three games, and then the the war band with the most glory or renown at the end of it was crowned champion of the arena. And it was just kind of set outside of the campaign, a fun activity. I think doing something like that, you know, either midway through or maybe depending on where the holidays fall and where we're at, you know, to try and reignite some of that that enthusiasm, you know, maybe have a a unique multiplayer game or something like that to kind of bring everybody back for a little bit and and keep things rolling would be a fun event to to have in the, the league throughout somewhere. Yeah, very cool, very cool. Paven, is there any ideas or or things that you'd like to to bring to the league or do different in the league? Well, I currently don't put any effort into it, and so I want to keep that going. Um, <laughs> but uh, things that uh, areas I like to explore are inter- exciting to me is ways to expand the league in a kind of narrative physical space. So. Do we set our league in a specific location in the Bloodwind Spoils? Um, do do we track where you're winning games, like in the Warhammer store or at home or at an even different location? And those those games mean different things for how the campaign is going. Do we like try to tell a, tell a cohesive story weaving throughout the campaign? Um, does like what board you play on matter? And so if you're in the, like the corpse rack mausoleum, does that mean something different for what's happening in our, in our section of the ever sprawling, uh, eight points? All, all of those ideas are things that I really jam on. Uh, I think it's, it's much more, I think more work to try to figure all that stuff and weave it together, but, um, it's definitely like cool ideas. And, you know, we talk about how, disconnected everybody's own story is and progress is and how great that is but maybe there's a way to we to still can maintain that but weave it back together mm-hmm. um so we're all telling one story together i don't know map campaigns also super cool so i don't know maybe a map i don't know if i've mentioned this on on this podcast davy aaron and i played um a campaign we tried to just do our own narrative map campaign where we took and did a we took the madison area map or local area map and we like circled different sections of it or territories and named it things based on like real places. Um, and mm. just started kind of like converting our local area into a fantasy landscape. <laughs> uh, and then tried to like use that as like places to dominate. Um, and, and so on and so forth. So I, I love the idea of maybe involving more people in kind of creating that map and, you know, uh, deciding how, or the firestorm campaigns did that, I think, where you'd pick different a location to fight over, um, mm-hmm. and whoever won that that battle, you know, earned points towards it or whatever. I think we we ended up doing like best of three. So if somebody won two battles in a location or something like that, that could definitely be interesting. And yeah, I like that idea. And and mm-hmm. you know, if you want to take on the role of lore master, 
for the league. Mm-hmm. That would not help you do that first thing you said, which is <laughs> yeah. nothing. He, he objected here. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it's up to you. Yeah, uh, yeah. For, for me, I think I'm kind of interested in really leaning into the organizational part of this. You know, and it's, it has nothing to do with not being able to finish my final convergence or, you know, be thwarted at every angle by my friends and having fun. Um, but maybe uh, I want to focus on, you know, the Varengard warband, some monsters and kind of being host as people are coming in and getting people games, etc. So like take games last, uh, which I've tried to do, but sometimes that's hard if not everyone's coming in at the same time. Um but also, you know, to run monsters for people and, you know, kind of create some more of that. Be, be the villain, I guess, for more people um, <laughs> uh, or the adversary or the, the realm master, uh, game master role. Um, so that's been interesting. For, that's been an interesting thought for me in terms of just trying to, like, take that on so people can play more of their own games um, and with their own war bands and that sort of thing. But we'll have to see how it goes. Again, I don't want to take take the option to, to pilot a monster away from anybody. Yeah. I'm really interested to see how these rules work. Uh, some of these tweaks and changes and see if there's more to do. Cause I, you know, uh, Paven, you brought up a good, a good thought in terms of the consumable, you know, it can swing over to the other direction. So it could be interesting there. All right. Uh, any other kind of forward looking ideas in terms of leagues or, or last bit of advice that you would share with any listener thinking about starting a league? Um, and uh, experiencing all that we've had the the pleasure of experiencing. Um, I, I would just say uh, one thing I think would be fun is you know I don't think there are many people in our group that have played a multiplayer game. I think it's just you know Paul, yourself, and myself are probably the only people who've played a multiplayer game. So I think getting some people to do that maybe one week where we all get together and play the multiplayer game I think would be a new experience for a lot of people. And just in terms of leagues and advice, I, you know I think. Picking whatever path is, is the most fun, you know, getting a group, good group of people and building your stories together has definitely been the highlight for me. And, you know, motivates me to do more hobby and bring it together and share, you know, ideas on schemes and painting and terrain and everything. It's been a lot of fun that way. How about you, Pavin? Uh, last thought is I want to probably try to play more games of Warcry at other locations in the area and just see if I can meet a new slice of, uh, of Warcry player uh, that we might be missing out uh, playing in the same place every week. That could be a, that'd be a cool thing to do. A uh, piece of advice. Well, I don't do anything really exciting. I don't, I don't have any advice besides uh, they're super fun. And I think, you, and I think you can do it in a way that's really low effort. And so I would just recommend just like picking a night and being consistent. And I think you, that's uh, how you build community. Yeah. Um, with that, gentlemen, uh, thank you again for joining me for running this league in Paven, even though you you have zero say whatsoever in how we run the league. <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, you bring a ton of great energy and you're uh, there to play fun games and that matters even more than our dumb ideas. Um, so thank you. Well, you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> It's time to put a muzzle on this episode. If it was a good, good dog, support the show with a positive review on iTunes, sharing it with friends, joining us for hobby discussions at themotorrealms.com forward slash discord, or leave a tip at themotorrealms.com forward slash Patreon. 
More content is available at themortorrealms.com and on Twitter at Dogs of Warcry. Have you guys listened to the end of a of a TMR episode? Aaron usually puts bloopers at the end. No, I have not. I try not to listen, so I don't feel bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I just cut my bloop, my bloop at the end, at the, at the city's one. <laughs>